Several years ago, when I was minister at another church before I moved to Andover, the church that I was minister of had its church building just across the road from a pub. Now, that pub had something of a reputation as being one of the roughest pubs in town. One day when I was working in my office, a lady appeared and asked to speak with me. We chatted, and it turned out she was the landlady of the pub, and her partner, the landlord, had tragically just died. And they were going to have a wake at the pub. And she wanted a minister to say a few words. They weren't church people, but she said it just felt right to her to have someone, some minister, some clergy person, say something. So I said, of course I would. But I then spent the next couple of days before the wake trying desperately to think of the right sort of things to say. Well, the evening came, and my friend Mark came with me just in case. Mark might actually be watching this uh, this morning. I don't know whether you're remembering this, Mark. But the time came when we went over to the pub, and it came then for me the time to say a few words in the middle of this packed pub with everybody silent and everybody watching. And in my wisdom, I decided to start this whole little talky bit with a joke to try to break the ice. And as I stood there in the middle of this pub with everybody listening to this weird minister bloke who they'd never met, I suddenly realised mid-joke that this could have been a really bad idea. Because if this bombed, I was never going to recover. Well, fortunately, the joke went down okay, and I carried on, and afterwards, lots of people came up to chat, and Mark and I didn't have to buy a drink all night. And I still remember so vividly, all these years later, what lots of those conversations were like. They went sort of like this. He, that is the landlord who'd sadly died, would really have enjoyed tonight. This was just his kind of thing. He's looking down on us right now, enjoying the party. He was smiling when you told that joke. Of course, he'll always be here watching over us. Is that the kind of thing that happens to us when we die? Do we kind of go to some place where we can look down and watch over all that's going on here on earth? We hear that quite a lot, don't we, regardless of whether someone is a church person or not. Actually, regardless of whether somebody would say they were a church person or not, most of us, and this may well be you, have some kind of faith or belief about what happens after we die. And they're often those beliefs expressed in the kinds of ways I heard in the pub that night. Well, what is that place? Is it somehow up in the sky? Is that heaven? Will there be people there dressed in white robes, playing harps, sitting on clouds? What will we look like when we get there? You know, people often think that Christians believe that when they get to heaven, there'll be a whole load of other Christians sitting around, all in white, singing Kumbaya. Well, what good is that? Who'd want to be there? Got to be honest with you, not me. I don't really like Kumbaya. And what about the other place? What about hell? What about all the pictures that we've had painted for us of lakes of fire, of eternal torment, of a devil clad all in red, holding a trident, laughing manically at our suffering? You know, I think that all of us have questions about what happens to us when we die. And perhaps as we get older, those questions become more real to us somehow, more significant, more important, more pertinent. 
But all of us have those questions. Whether we'd call ourselves a Christian or not, whether you would call yourself a Christian or not, whether you're a person of faith or not, we all have those questions. Even the most ardent and passionate atheist wrestles with the questions posed by death. And through this series, we've been trying to answer some of those questions about what happens to us when we die. We've been trying to ask the question, is, is heaven real and what will it be like? And today we're finishing with asking, is hell real? And just before you turn off, because I realize this isn't really a very cheery subject, I want to encourage you to stick with it, because I think by the end of this message, you'll actually find a message of hope and encouragement. And we've got one or two ways to lighten the mood a little bit during this talk too. Now, for us, I think, to figure out whether hell is real, and if it is what it might be like, I think we have to go back to heaven. And through the course of this series, we've been talking about these different things. So in uh, week one, a couple of weeks ago, Rob talked uh, uh, about what happens to us when we die. Last week, he talked about what heaven might be like, or what is heaven? And I think we have to go back to those places to really understand hell, because I think hell can only be understood in the context of heaven. And what will heaven be like? Well, cue some cute American children telling us just what they think heaven is going to look like. Heaven looks like a beautiful place. Rainbow colored with glitter. Like colors you've never seen before. Purple and pink and red and white. Pinky purple. Maybe I'm thinking that heaven might look like a cloud. Clouds. Goldenish yellow clouds. It doesn't, it doesn't have glass. <laughs> My clothes are going to be made of marshmallows. <laughs> That's funny. It's a house where you die in a big giant house. Yeah, he's going to make a big room for you and me. Bigger than like the whole world. And he's going to make a giant school for you. Like, like, the more people that move into heaven, the, the bigger God makes it. And so the kids have more room to play. That's going to be awesome. My grandma and grandpa will be in heaven. My dad, he's getting super old. I think my dad's going to be the first one that's going to die. <gasps> Mary, I think that's the only girl. I think I'm not gonna die. I think I'm just gonna be all by myself. These animals. I got to play with Jesus. Ooh. Dogs. Woof, woof. Elephant. There's gonna be a baseball team in heaven. White Sox, I think, will be in heaven. We could let, like, the people who play the Cubs go to heaven. All Southsiders go to heaven. Jesus. And I was planning on giving him a high five or something. 
I'll miss when he does download some slow parts because he's fast. That's so cool, isn't it? I, lo I love those uh, videos, what those kids said uh, about heaven. I wonder whether you can remember when you were a child, the sense of anticipation you had on Christmas Eve. If you were like me as a child, you couldn't sleep. The excitement was so thick you could almost cut it. And in the morning, you'd creep down and see all the presents wrapped under the tree. You know, when I used to do that, and here's the thing, I didn't know what the presents were going to be. That was part of the surprise, right? But I knew that my mum and dad loved me and that they'd spent a lot of time and effort choosing the exact gifts that would give me the most pleasure. Well, that's the sort of anticipation I have about heaven. I don't know all the details about what heaven will be like, but I do know this. In God, I have a heavenly father who loves me, and I know he spent a lot of time and effort to create an environment custom-made to give me maximum pleasure. And that's the promise of heaven. You see, it's difficult for us to understand a lot about heaven because of our limited perspective. How can time-bound people comprehend the eternal? How can people from a world full of sin and pain and suffering imagine a heaven where there is none of that? One of Jesus' first followers, a guy called Paul, writing to a bunch of people in a place called Corinth, says this about heaven. He says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Think of it this way. Think of all the wonderful things that human beings have created, despite our limited intellect and finite resources. Here's just a few that come to my mind. Haagen-Dazs ice cream, profiteroles with hot chocolate sauce, space travel, rugby, cricket, 6X beer brewed in my hometown, Netflix, the Aston Martin DB9, rare steak with Stilton uh, butter sauce. By the way, it just worries me about how much of that was about food, by the way. But think of all those incredible things, and you're probably thinking of some now, that human beings have created. Now think of this. God has unlimited intellect, unlimited resources, and he is perfectly good. We just can't imagine how good will be the things he has in store for us in heaven. No eye has seen, no ears heard, and no mind can imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. Heaven will be a place where we can truly see and experience all the fullness of God and where we will be constantly thrilled by how awesome and amazing he is. And God does give us some hints. God does give us some insights in the Bible about what heaven is going to be like. He says it's going to be a place of ultimate community. He says it'll be a place like home. It will be untainted by evil. It will be a place beyond pain and hurt. And it will be a place where people can experience the fullness of God. But if there's a heaven, it begs the question, is there another place? Is there a hell? And what will that be like? And is it real? You know, we have lots of images in our minds about hell. Some of them are probably coming to your mind right now. And many of those images are inherited from medieval times when there was an unhealthy fascination with hell. Dante's Inferno and the like painted a picture of hell that in many cases are embellishments of what God actually has to say in the Bible about what it's going to be like. 
We've inherited those images and those pictures from medieval times, and hence all those pictures we have in our minds of lakes and rivers of fire, pools of molten lava and the like. We need to get back to what we actually know from God about hell and make him the source of what we know. And in the same way that we can know a bit about what heaven is like because we can read about what God has to say about it and the insights and hints he's given us, we can do the same thing about hell too. But we can never really know exactly what it will be like because, again, we're time-bound people talking about the eternal. All we can only really understand about hell is these hints and insights that God gives us. And we can only really understand the tragedy of hell when it's set against the backdrop of heaven. And this is really, really important. Let me say that again. You can only understand the tragedy of hell against the backdrop of the wonder of heaven. Heaven will be perfect, uninterrupted community with God and with people. Heaven is that for which we were made. And there we will finally, fully become the person God intended us to be. And it will thrive with life. What about hell then? What will that be like? Well, number one, there is no community in hell. One of the primary images in the Bible for hell is the image of being excluded from community. Heaven is pictured as a wedding banquet. There's this picture of community, of intimacy. And those who are in hell are pictured as being outside of the banquet hall. The doors are shut. They're outside of community. When Jesus talked about hell, one of the metaphors he used was darkness, or sometimes even utter darkness. And I think that's a metaphor for no community. There will not be friendship or community or interaction. That's just not going to happen. There will only be utter aloneness. Number two, and this is probably a little bit of an understatement really, but number two, it's going to be an uncomfortable place, a place where there is no joy, no comfort, no peace, no healing. One of the words that Jesus used to describe hell is the word Gehenna. And actually that was a place or the name of a valley just outside Jerusalem. And in Jesus's day, it was a rubbish dump. It was a place, for, uh, where, uh, not for people, but rubbish. And nothing is made for the rubbish dump. Nothing's intended for the rubbish dump. It's not a great a place to have to be left alone or to spend a long time. And the other metaphor that Jesus used a lot to describe hell was fire. And we know that fire is destructive, dangerous, and profoundly uncomfortable. Hell will not be a nice place to be. Number three. Hell will be a place of regret, a place where people experience extreme remorse and extreme regret. You know, there's a story, again, that Jesus told of a rich man who ends up in hell and he looks up and sees a poor man he ignored every day who is with God in heaven. And the rich man experiences profound regret for him and for his family too. And finally, and most significantly, and most importantly of all, it is a place of separation from God. If heaven is the place where we can experience God in all his fullness, hell is a place of separation from God. It's a place where God is not present. And that's the awfulness of hell. The awfulness of hell is that God is not there. In hell, we would experience complete separation from God. Now, there's a lot of debate in theological circles about whether hell is a literal place, whether it's a physical location, or whether it's simply separation from God, like an eternal nothingness. 
And what about the question that we're trying to answer today is, is hell real? Well, Jesus clearly believed that hell was a reality, that it is real. But whether hell is a literal physical location or an eternal nothingness, it is real. And the key features of hell are the same. There is no community, no joy, no comfort, no peace, no healing, just regret, just missing out on the joys of heaven. And most significantly of all, separation from God. That sounds hellish. Now, one of the questions that often gets asked when people think about heaven and hell is how can a loving God really send people to a place like hell? Surely if heaven is this amazing place and hell is horrible, surely God would want people in heaven with him. Why would he condemn anyone to hell? And it's a really good question, but I actually think it's got a really simple answer. See, I don't think God does send anyone to hell. In fact, it's the greatest desire of God's heart that everyone should get to go to heaven when they die. God is compassionate and loving and no one on earth, not the most earnest, passionate person, wants people, all people, to spend eternity in heaven with God nearly as much as God does. That's what he wants. But he does say that there is a choice to be made, that there is a judgment that we will all face, a decision we must all make. Peter's letter in the Bible says that God is patient, not wanting anyone to perish. It's, uh, Peter says this, he, God, is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. God's desire is that everyone should get to experience heaven. God doesn't want to send anyone to hell. That's the exact opposite of, he, uh, of what he wants. But that leads straight into the next question. If God doesn't want anyone to go to hell, if this is really true and God is loving and powerful, then why do people end up there? Why is there a judgment to be faced? Because we believe, as Rob set out so brilliantly in the first week of this series, that there is a judgment to be faced. There is a decision to be made. And why wouldn't God force us to make a decision that sends us to heaven rather than one which would send us to hell. And God does allow us to make that decision, to face that judgment with the wrong answer coming out. Well, the answer of why God lets that happen is because God takes human freedom with the utmost of seriousness. Because God has made people to be free and he takes our freedom with great seriousness and he won't violate it. If people say to God, I want nothing to do with you. I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want to live with you as part of my life. I don't want you for my God. Leave me alone. Then God will respect that and say, okay, and God will leave them alone. G.K. Chesterton said this, hell is God's great compliment to the reality of human freedom and the dignity of human choice. God allows people to choose and if people choose separation from God in this life, he will allow them to go on choosing that for all of eternity. Remember, hell is separation from God. And if we choose to be separated from God, we choose hell. And it is real. And there is a choice to be made. But you know, I believe with absolute confidence that one day I'm going to end up in heaven. I can only imagine what that's going to be like, but it's going to be amazing. And I have that confidence, not because of me, not because of anything I've done, but because God has made a way for me to be with him in heaven. In his grace and his mercy, he's made a way for me to be forgiven, for me to face that judgment 
and get through and make it to spend heaven with him for all of eternity. Not because of me, but because of him. I believe that God has made a way for me and you to be with him in heaven. I believe that he sent his son, Jesus, to live and walk on the earth, to demonstrate that God is real, that he loves us, and that by dying, he is willing to give everything for us, and by rising from the dead, that he has overcome death, and he has made a way for us to overcome death too and to spend all of eternity in the presence of our heavenly father. He has demonstrated for us that heaven is real and that if in this life we choose to have him as part of our lives if we choose to accept his offer of grace and forgiveness then that choice gets extended for all of eternity i believe that with all of my being but i won't bully you into believing it too because if god allows a free choice then so must i but I would challenge all of us with this one thing. We need to think this through because eternity is a very long time and hell is real. And surely the possibility that this is true and that the length of time that eternity is justifies us placing some serious thought now into what happens to us when we die. None of us know when our time is up and the urgency of this therefore is really evident. So I want to encourage you to investigate, to read, to ask questions. This is serious. And we want to help with that reading and that question asking and those, those conversations. We want to help in your investigations if you would like for us to do so. Check out the Next Steps area of our website. Go to the Explore section, and it has all sorts of help and guidance for you about how you can do that. Check out the Alpha course when we start it again. Uh, later on into the summer, we'll be talking a lot more about that, starting that in the early autumn, which is just a great way to explore faith and explore who Jesus is. Ask people, get in touch with us and ask us to help. We would love to do that because this is serious and there is a choice to be made and a judgment to be faced and God has done everything that he can to make it possible for us to be with him in heaven for all of eternity. But we've got to make a choice. For now, though, the challenge for me and for any of us who have already accepted the love and grace of God is to live our lives in the light of what we believe. To live life with the hope of heaven and that amazing prospect of getting to spend eternity in the amazing, adventurous, and exciting presence of the God who loves us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, first of all, I just want to pray for anyone who's watching this, whether on site here with us, whether online, whether live or on demand, who perhaps has been confronted with this question of heaven and of hell and the choices that we have to make, maybe for the first time this morning, or maybe it's become very real and very evident, and they want to take that step of accepting your free gift of love and grace and mercy and that assurance of eternity with you in heaven. Lord God, give them the courage now to accept the gift of Jesus into their lives, into their hearts, into their minds and into their souls right now. And to begin that walk, that adventure of that journey with you. And Lord God, I pray for those who might be engaging with this now, who perhaps have already accepted Jesus, but are 
anxious or worried about death or who are anxious or worried about what the future holds who just simply want to live life in the light of those eternal promises by your spirit your presence Lord God I pray you give us the courage and the bravery to do that I thank you for the reminder of your amazing grace and mercy that we've had this morning I thank you for that reminder of of what heaven is going to be like the joy that awaits us Lord God, help us to live in the light of that, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.